Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, From Crisis to Connection. Each week on this podcast, my guests and I will give you and your loved ones resources and tools to heal from the crises of infidelity, pornography, abusive behaviors, and betrayal trauma. But we also talk about how to build and maintain healthy connection in your most important relationships. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about an especially sensitive topic. We're going to talk about the sexual healing journey from sexual abuse. People that have been sexually abused oftentimes either want nothing to do with sex ever again, or they become hypersexual, or they just become numb. There's lots of different reactions, and they're all perfectly normal and common. However, they don't have to be a life sentence. People need to heal not only from the impact of sexual abuse in their own personal emotional world, their relationships, and all kinds of other areas. But especially, there needs to be a sexual healing journey so that they can reconnect to their sexual self and really not let that be hijacked anymore or compromised by the abuse that they've experienced. And thankfully, there are great tools and resources to help in this healing journey. We are joined today by Wendy Maltz, and she is one of the foremost experts in this area. She's an internationally recognized sex therapist, author, and speaker. She's got more than 40 years of experience helping individuals and couples overcome sex and intimacy concerns. And she's the author of numerous acclaimed sexuality resources, including this classic called The Sexual Healing Journey, A Guide for Survivors of Sexual Abuse. She's also uh, written a book called The Porn Trap, The Essential Guide to Overcoming Problems Caused by Pornography. And she's written and spoken on this topic extensively. And she's currently retired from providing counseling service, but she does remain engaged in the field through her popular educational website, healthysex.com, which has lots of free articles, podcast interviews, posters, videos, and other resources to help people overcome sexual problems and develop skills for love-based sexual intimacy. Wendy is an incredible resource, and she's an incredible person. I've known her since 2007 when we spoke at a conference together, and I just was so impressed with her work and just who she is as a person. One thing that I love about Wendy that I'll share with you guys really quickly is that Wendy was trained as a sex therapist, you know, more than 40 years ago. And back in those days, so many people were prescribing pornography as a way to heal sexual problems with couples. And she discovered and and recognized that pornography was doing a lot of damage to these couples. And she really broke with the conventional teachings and kind of protocols of her field as a sex therapist and stopped prescribing pornography. And in fact, wrote a book calling out the harms of pornography on marriage and really took a lot of heat for that. It was not a very popular thing. And over the years, she's been you know, proved right by a lot of people that marriages are not benefited by using pornography and that it's a very harmful thing. And so I just appreciate her courage and her willingness to speak out on this and to offer resources to individuals and couples who are trying to heal from the impact 
of not only sexual abuse and pornography issues, but all the different things that impact us sexually. She just is such a great resource. Today, my wife and I are going to talk with her about the sexual healing journey, specifically around tools and resources and and ways that people who have been sexually abused can reclaim their sexuality. So this is a fantastic interview. She is just such a great wealth of knowledge. And if you've never been sexually abused, I promise you, you know someone who has. You may not even realize it. But whether you're someone that's a survivor and you're trying to heal, or you're a loved one trying to support someone else, the information you learn here will be very beneficial to you. Let's jump into our interview now with Wendy Maltz. Well, Wendy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, this is such an important topic. I don't know the exact statistics, but I know that so many of us go through some form of sexual abuse, both women and men, more women than men generally, but it's still very high for both, too high. It's Yes. And when you look at all the different types of sexual abuse, it's hard to find someone who hasn't at some point in their life experienced some unwanted touch, unwanted sexual contact, or exploitive or coerced sexual demands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point. So in essence, I mean, there can be a lot of us walking around believing that we haven't been sexually abused in some degree. But according to what you just described, that would probably fit most of us. Yeah, I, th- I think this, the the statistics are things like one in three women right. have experienced some form of sexual abuse. Uh, I think it's like one in four or five women have actually been raped and uh, one in, in five to seven males. So it's, you know, for even people who identify it with an actual act they can remember, it's pretty high. But there's also witness, we witness so much sexual abuse in our media. I mean, it's, you know, we're hard pressed to turn on the television without some kind of uh, visual of somebody being sexually uh, dominated or exploited. Mm -hmm. So true. So true. And I, I appreciate that more expansive definition of it mostly so we can also understand our own triggers, our own sensitivities to it, the impact on us, but also just to be more aware of how the things we may do may be unintentionally impacting other people and what things we may just, maybe even just sort of dismissing or turning a blind eye to things like that. There's just so much of it around us that increased awareness is huge. Yeah, It impacts us. Like if you see something on television, you know, a show that shows uh, rape in it, you can get kind of like a secondary hit, you know, so that you might be suspicious of people when you go out in public again, or um, trust, let's say a woman trusting men less. And these things add up or or a male thinking that they, that this is what it means to be a man to act like this and get away with if they see people getting away with it. So yeah, I think it's good to be conscious and the difference between entertainment and reality. Oh, yeah. It's like secondhand smoke. Yeah. Like you can't escape the effects of being exposed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good yes. analogy. Yeah, for sure. Mm, that's sobering. Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> well, I, we, I did. We, have, we see a lot of good things too, so, yes. you know. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think for this topic, it is really a great, I appreciate you expanding that, Wendy, because I think that I came into this interview even a little bit more narrow about a lot of the stuff that shows up in my office. 
Yeah. Where people are consciously saying, I've been sexually abused or something has happened to me that I, I realize had a start and a stop to it. I, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so much of what you're describing, like Jody's saying, is so much of it's just impacting us without our conscious awareness mm-hmm. much of the time, but it does affect the way we show up in our relationships and for ourselves. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine making love with your spouse if you just saw a program where someone's, you know, almost lost their life in a sexual assault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. uh, I don't think that's great. And they show those programs late at night <laughs> or in the <laughs> evening. And then you're Adult supposed hours. to go to bed, you know, and it's like, thank goodness we have record on our, some of our, <laughs> uh, you know, our devices so that we could maybe see those. I don't, I, I'm actually not sure there is a good time at any point in the day to see things like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but especially as a precursor to going to, to bed with your spouse or your Yeah, partner. right. <laughs> like, oh, honey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so because of these, you know, these experiences that, and, you know, I, I don't know what term you use, survivors of sexual abuse. Is that the term that you like to use, Wendy? Yeah, I mean, you can go, there are like three terms I often allude to. Victim, that's when kind of immediate when an assault happens, you're a victim of it. And survivor is like you're in recovery from it. You survived it. And that is something to acknowledge that you came through that experience and have a life ahead of you. And thriver, thriving means that you've actually done the healing work and are able to embrace life in a way where you feel empowered again and also feel good about and capable of connecting with sexuality. Because sexual abuse, a lot of times we overlook the word sex in sexual abuse. It's a, a direct attack on your sexuality. And so, you know, that's good to recognize that's where the wound went in, and it was uh, the weapon was sexual, the, the focus was sexual. And even though it's an act of power, it, it is that harm done to a person's sexuality is sexual abuse. So that part really needs to heal. You can't just, you know, go, well, I'm no longer in contact with my attacker. It can go in inside the, the impact. Yeah, so true. So thriving is what I'm all about, helping people achieve. Right. I love that. I love that. So when most people show up or recognize that they need some sort of help or a way out of this, they're definitely in the victim survivor stages generally, right? Most people aren't. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe some people are coming and thriving, but want to fine tune it. But most of the conversation we're going to have today is really about these first two categories of people that have been victimized and then are trying to survive through this. And maybe you found some initial healing. One thing you say in an article that I'm actually going to link in the show notes is you talk about the need to make sure that you do a lot of the trauma work first to get your body regulated, to get out of the that initial fight or flight, the you know, to be able to stay pretty emotionally balanced enough to be able to then go in and do this work. Can you say more about that? Well, there's some basic things with like directly after an assault, issues of safety and protection are really high, you know, and just dealing with the impact on the body and and on your whole view of people 
It's a, you know, sexual abuse is a betrayal of human trust and affection. And I mean, affection when it's within the context of a relate, a known relationship, but it's a, bet- a human betrayal. And you've, you know, that has an impact in dealing with that, get, helping the body to heal whatever needs to be done, you know, making sure that the victim is getting good medical care and there won't be negative consequences from the assault, that lasting consequences, things like that. But overcoming and, you know, a lot of survivors, when they don't get the help they need, they will do things that can harm themselves. They stay silent about it. They may even turn inward on hurting their own bodies or acting out sexually with promiscuity or withdrawing and uh, having nothing to do with sex, you know, the, um, but it can show up in terms of how they socialize and how they interact with people and how they treat their body and think of their body. So those, on those kinds of levels, healing is important to do. If you just jump right in there and you deal with sexual issues in a real direct way, it's just usually just does not work because there are because talking about sex is going to re-stimulate memories of the assault and sure. of the dynamics from the abuse. So having a sense that you've become assertive again in your life, you've reclaimed your power, you know you were not at fault for what happened to you, you know that what happened to you was an abuse of sexuality, not an act of any kind of healthy sex. And so you started, you know, doing some just core work that and feeling comfortable being in the world. Sometimes people take assertiveness training at this point or self-defense classes to get kind of back into feeling empowered in their bodies and with and verbally. And those kinds of things can be really helpful at that stage. Yeah, and it's really important, like for a counselor or a therapist to know that if they're talking a lot about sex, you know, well, let's help, you know, you have these sexual issues, just deal with sex. They run the risk of being kind of put in the camp with, believe it or not, the perpetrator, because perpetrators say, we're going to do sex whether you want to or not, or I'm the person in control and in power here. And you don't, you know, this is what you, I think you need to do sexually. And boy, you know, that it's like an unconscious thing that can go on. So the whole therapeutic dynamic is compromised if people jump into trying to work with sexual issues without making sure these other issues are dealt with and take uh, primary importance in the healing. So in other words, those if you're working on something with touch and then boom, the let's say the perpetrator happens to be visiting or some memory about the perpetrator comes up, that has you've got to be able to switch right away to deal with that and let yeah. the sexual healing go to the side for a little while because those issues around general self-esteem body care, overcoming fear, and feeling safe and protected, those all need to take are important. And the survivor needs to feel in control 
of the therapeutic process. Mm. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's that seems very congruent and that it it needs to represent somatically for for the person concerned before they can they can begin the moving into the real sexual healing. Yeah, cuz it, it's so easy to get re-traumatized. And yeah. and survivors take care of themselves if they are starting to feel overwhelmed. They'll just not do the the touch exercises or you know, or they'll quit therapy. And yeah. And, yeah. And who can blame them if it's an upsetting process? Yeah. Yeah, so true. Well, I think that's mm-hmm. helpful too because I imagine that there are many people who attempt that process with a therapist, but they don't get to be in a position of leading out in their own power. And so I imagine a lot of people are confused and frustrated with, with that when it doesn't, when it, those steps aren't taken so that they can then move in their time and way. Yes. You know, a lot of times people say, what is the one thing that you think therapy is there for in terms of survivors? And the word that comes up is empowerment, you know, because the abuse is a, a robbery in terms of the person's personal power. It, and therapy is all about re- re-empowering, coming into you, your, finding your voice, being able to say, this isn't working for me. We need to slow down and have mm-hmm. the therapist and the partner, if the partner's part of that process, be able to say, wow, thanks for speaking up. You know, we'll take our cues from you. You know, you know yourself better than anybody else in terms of what's working and what isn't working. And then it becomes kind of a matter of how can you approach things creatively? Like, well, what would feel safe to you? Or here's the principle in terms of what is good to do in healing to, you know, here's, but what route do you, can you imagine uh, designing to get there, you know, here's some different options. How do you think for you it would work best? And when people take ownership of their own healing process, oh boy, then you really know you're, you know, everybody can work together in a way that's very productive. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And and it's I mean, it's such a it's such a blessing when, you know, the partner of the survivor is on board and will slow down and ask good questions and really tune into that. And unfortunately, a lot of the times the partner is the perpetrator, right? I mean, I see that a lot with sexual infidelity, uh, secret, you know, sexual secrets in a relationship, things like that. And there's a, oftentimes couples will come into my office. I work a lot with infidelity, a lot of the times with, with se- sexual secrets and sexual betrayals, where a lot of the times there's been a lot of coercion and pressure inside the relationship to you know, to either do sexual things or there's been sexual secrets. And then the person, the person who's been victimized or who's trying to survive through this has lost their sexual voice, has lost their ability to determine how things are going to go in the relationship or what, you know, fidelity boundaries, things like that. And so a lot of times couples will come in and there can be almost this pressure of like, well, we've got sexual issues. So maybe the therapist will help us have more sex. Maybe the therapist will help us get on track and let's just fix this sexual issue with more sex. And I mean, that is absolutely the wrong way to go in terms of, you know, disempowering some, or, you know, if you're trying to empower somebody, that's the wrong way to go with that. 
Can you speak to that, Wendy, as far as when the perpetrator is your own partner, whether it's a sexual betrayal of some kind or, you know, something that happens directly in the marriage like that? Yeah, you know, I do make a distinction between spousal rape and infidelity. You know, I Mm -hmm. think the infidelity and acting out outside of the relationship, that's not a physical impact on the victim or the the survivor of it, the, the other partner. It's definitely an emotional betrayal and a commitment betrayal. And there's a loss of respect that can go on that I think can be a primary issue in those situations and loss of trust in terms of where are we going forward and and can this can my partner make a commitment to fidelity? Is he or she even capable of that? Um, so those issues right. are are all important to deal with. And I mean, if you're if you're a victim of betrayal, you know, you need need to find your own lines with what you can tolerate in the relationship and whether the trust is getting rebuilt. And there are ways to do that. We could talk about those, but in terms of a physical assault, an actual spousal rape, whew, you know, then you've got all these physiological reactions to the actual person of right. that having lost your control over your own body in relation to the other person and been violated, had with an intrusion on your person or a a forcing of contact. Even men can be assaulted by females sexually. Adults can, you know. And that can, that, that, I mean, the, you not only have the emotional and trust betrayals and the respect betrayals going on, you have this like, can I be safe in a room with this person? Or what if this person drinks again? Or what if this person gets angry at me again? You know, well, he or she violate me again? Or do they need that sense of power and control that translates into a, a physical assertion over me or not? And But in both cases, you know, it does come down to kind of what can I tolerate here? Is this working for me? And what direction is it going in over time? There have certainly been uh, perpetrators or, you know, people who have acted out physically with raping a partner in, in a relationship or with infidelity. There's certainly, I know, and you know, there are a number of people who feel horrible remorse for what they did, you know, just tremendous remorse. And they want nothing to do with the person they were at the time they committed the assault or the betrayal. And they take an active role in wanting to learn what they can about why they did it. How could they have done this? And, you know, what's going on? Maybe there was a history of a a parent raping, you know, one another parent, or maybe they're, uh, you know, they were violated or something, or but, you know, the, but deal or why did I, you know, act out outside of the relationship sexually and find someone outside the relationship to have sex with, or even, you know, it can happen with pornography. You know, I'm developing a right. sexual relationship with porn, even can function like that too. 
And so, but if the person really tries to explore it and really figure out why the heck, I want to know why I did this and I don't ever want to do it again. And they're reading books, they're attending therapy sessions, they're stopping themselves in the middle of certain, of saying something that would have, you know, sort of been similar to what they used to say or thinking, they're stopping themselves from thinking in a way that has them thinking, oh, I should have, oh, isn't, isn't that person hot or whatever <laughs> who's outside the relationship? You know, if they're actively engaged in, in recovery and making progress, then I think people who were quote unquote victims or survivors of that can start building trust with them. So as right. the, you know, you have to figure out what direction is this going? And you usually know that within months, certainly within three to six months, you know, mm -hmm. after something happened, you know what direction it's going in. And that's important. And words are not enough. It's got to be yeah. actions. You've got to witness the person and their values changing. I, I don't mean changing in a negative way. I mean, changing in a positive way, you know, with what they're saying and what they're doing. But, you know, if somebody is watching a TV program where someone gets assaulted and they go, oh, yeah, well, she deserved it. Look at the way she was dressing. I mean, that's perpetrator thinking, right? Mm -hmm. But right. if they go, you know, I'm not really comfortable watching this. It just, I don't think this is good for us to watch. It's, it makes me feel really bad about what I did to you or, you know, whatever, or I don't want to reinforce this kind of stuff. Let's find a a love, a love connection movie we can watch together or a, a movie that shows people who are trusting each other in spite of difficult history. So then you know, okay, my partner's really getting it. They have to get it before you can move mm -hmm. forward together. Yeah, especially when you're living with that person. I mean, it's one thing to get away from the source of the abuse and set those boundaries and then have your safe environment. But when that person's coming to bed with you or you're raising children together, you're so dependent on each other. What you just described is non-negotiable if you're going to stay in that relationship and, and feel safe. Exactly. And, you know, if the survivor of it or of that, that partner, the intimate partner who was wounded, if uh, he or she says, you know, I'm not really comfortable sleeping with you tonight because the way you were talking or how you were when we watched that show or what you said to so-and-so that I just, it brought it all back up again. And then if the person who had acted out says, fine, I'm, you know, I support you in that. Let me know. Or, you know, if they honor that and they say, take the time you need, I really blew it. And I'm in a process of learning, but let me know if there's something you need to hear from me or that I can do, that I can yeah. do to show you that I am working on change, you know, keep me informed or take whatever amount of time you need. And it's a bit of a power sharing that's switched mm -hmm. instead of the perpetrator feeling, needing to be dominant and in control and, you know, defining the relationship. There's a willingness to kind of let go of that power and share and let the survivor be the one who can call the shots. Yeah, I love that. And that's that. not easy for a lot of people to do, especially no. if they've had issues. 
and they acted out in the first place, they obviously have some issue with power, a need for power, or even if it's a false sense of power. Well, and I would think that that goes both ways, actually, that for the perpetrator, it's hard to begin to let go when they've had sought that power and taken it, but also for the survivor to begin to assert their own power or even believe that they have some or that their voice can contribute something to the relationship. So it, mm-hmm. a lot of work. Right. Yeah, one shifts down and one shifts up in order to have that more equal sense of power. You know, there's um, on my healthysex.com website, I have the Healthy Sex Trust contract. And that is uh, an example of one. Um, People can create their own with whatever items they feel are important. But it's like, you know, uh, it, it encourages couples to sit down and talk with each other and actually write out what the kind of rules are going to be here, you know? Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. And so it's uh, the understandings that we're going to have. We are going to have a monogamous relationship, if that's what you decide, or we'll have a non-monogamous one, but only under these conditions or situations. But spelling it out and saying, and this means that, and if there are feelings that come up that uh, where either of us wants to act out or be with somebody else, we will actually talk about it before we pursue it. And we may decide that we would separate first before either of us would actually act on it. I actually have a a woman friend who she was married and it, it was a nice relationship, but there wasn't a deep love in it. And there were more friends who created, uh, you know, a marriage. And then she ended up falling in love with another guy who happened to be married too. And this was a long, long time ago. But I was so surprised what they decided was they wouldn't see each other at all. They didn't want to violate their marriages. And then they, they ended up years later after they had left their initial spouses, they ended up creating a marriage together. Hmm. Wow. Actually come to think, you know, so, I mean, there are ways of doing it that are, even if somebody wants out of a relationship that are honorable, I guess you could say it's so sad and unfortunate when that happens. And for some people, that's not an option in terms of their beliefs, but there are ways of being honorable about it. And sometimes just writing out attractions to other people, they can change. Without acting on it, people come to the recognition that, oh, I'm really glad I didn't have an affair with that person. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, I think Shirley Glass talked about that in her book, Not Just Friends. She talked about just being honest and open with our own chemistry that we might feel with other people and just naming that will often diffuse it. Yes. Right. Naming it to ourselves, maybe talking about it with a therapist, but mm-hmm. um, not acting on it. Right. And, right. and that it will probably like a, um, you know, like a, a thunderstorm, it will come and go most likely and the feelings <laughs> yeah. would be different down the road. And uh, yeah, so there are options in the trust contract can help with identifying what those understandings are and what actions would be taken you know, initially. So, yeah. 
That's a great resource. And we'll, we'll put a link to your website in the show notes so people can access that. Mm-hmm. Wendy, let's talk about the sexual healing journey. What are the stages? I mean, we've talked about stabilizing the trauma, getting to a person to a place where they can regulate their emotions better. They're safe. There's no kind of ongoing threat. Trust, you know, if they're working in a marriage situation or partnership, there's some trust being built. There's a sense that this person is remorseful and there's there's a, a space now to do some sexual healing work. How does that begin? What does that look like? Stages of healing and tools? Well, one of the things I discovered, and I, I had mentioned to you, I worked for 40 years as a sex and relationship therapist, a licensed clinical social worker. And one of the things I discovered in working with survivors, and I am a survivor of sexual abuse myself, is that it really takes a comprehensive approach to do sexual healing. So you're looking at changes in attitudes about sex, about self as a sexual person, and changes, and then change issues with touch and with uh, changing behaviors. Um, so it kind of follows a natural progression. It certainly makes sense that you would address thinking issues are more, you know, a lot easier than touch issues to talk about and deal with because of that likelihood that if you talk more specifically about sexual touch, you're going, you're likely to re-trigger the trauma if it's a, an unresolved issue. Mm-hmm. But so, you know, it's like, and survivors need to separate out their concept of healthy sex from abusive sex. They're not the same thing. In my early years, I would ask survivors, well, how do you define sex? And they'd say bad, ugly, dirty, hurtful. And, you know, being able to get to a place where they can open a folder that even starts putting things in it that have to do with a pleasurable and positive connection and, you know, a birthright, things like this that have to do with healthy sex. And so issues of attitudes towards sex, how do you feel about yourself as a sexual person? Because survivors come to think of themselves as bad or damaged or, you know, somehow damaged goods, you know, I was at fault and all those kinds of issues need to be dealt with. So you go, that was abuse. That was not healthy or positive sexual relating. And then there are issues with stopping behaviors that are negative, and that could be behaviors of withdrawing completely or of acting out sexually with promiscuity or sexual compulsive behaviors, relationships outside the marriage or compulsive right. uh, masturbation, yeah. things like that. And then deal, learning new approaches to touch, how to handle automatic reactions to touch that can come up like feelings of disgust or fear or anxiety. And there are steps outlined in the book, The Sexual Healing Journey, and in the video, Relearning Touch Techniques, that is available on my website, healthysex.com, for free view now. Anybody can see it. And you you hear about these techniques and see how you can make changes in the midst of a touch experience to be able to calm yourself and relax and be able to approach sex in ways that are positive, where you learn it as positive and you get 
I think the experiential learning is so important. It can't just be talk therapy. And then so many issues with partners too. That's part of the sexual healing journey because partners don't realize they were secondary victims of, of the original abuse, at least when it has to do with uh, sexual abuse in the past. And the perpetrator was not the spouse. Right. But they, you know, what they're experiencing, dealing with those and getting the, helping the partner to get on board because they can mess up the healing process if they don't understand what's going on and why the survivor's reacting and feeling the way he or she does. They can become demanding and they can be more like a start mimicking kind of perpetrator behaviors, which just you can imagine, you know, is like going to re-stimulate the trauma. And then dealing with specific sexual functioning issues, difficulties with arousal, orgasm, premature ejaculation or erectile difficulty, you know, in men and painful intercourse in females. So there's a whole step-by-step that people take. And each step that you take in the sexual healing journey helps build a foundation for the next one. The changes in attitude help establish changes in behavior that are positive. So it's pretty cool. I mean, there can be a little bit of hunt and peck or whatever. You have to do a little of this work here and then you got to throw back, oh, whoops, we got, well, that sounds like your definition of sex is, you know, you know, is, is still in that negative thinking air place. But it's wonderful when people go through this comprehensive process that they are able to really reclaim their sexuality in a whole different way where it belongs to them and it's something positive and pleasurable. And that was the reward always in working with individuals and couples for all those decades was seeing Mm -hmm. the incredible progress and hearing about it. Because I, you know, when we feel good about ourselves sexually, we're more powerful in the world where we can be more assertive. We just get more satisfaction and enjoyment. And that just radiates out into the uh, couple relationship, if there is one, into the family dynamics, to the children, to the community. And so it's it's a, a really marvelous thing to watch people move from a place of shame and secrecy and silence and discomfort to a place where they are owning their whole bodies and selves and able to relate in a, in a way of their choosing. Yeah, it seems like sexual injury, sexual abuse really almost throw kind of like a giant cargo net over all of us, doesn't it? It just sort of makes it hard to feel like yourself and to feel confident in all these areas you're talking about. Just from a sexual wound, I mean, we we sometimes look at it and say, well, sexual abuse is common and it affects all of us, but you're saying, no, it really takes us offline. It really does diminish us as people if we're not getting help for it. Yeah, and really so. You know, when I first started out as a sex therapist back in the early 80s, I know some people who are listening weren't even born yet, <laughs> but, you know, I started out, I learned how to help people who had difficulty with women who, who were what's called pre-orgasmic. They had difficulty 
achieving an orgasm in sexual relating. And one of the things that struck me back then so much was that it were actually that the, how well the techniques worked for one. But the other thing was, as these women became able to experience that kind of full pleasure and enjoyment with sex, they were more assertive and confident. They would come in and report things like, I asked my my boss for a raise, <laughs> you know? right. and right. you know, and uh, you know, I was able to speak up and tell my partner what I needed in terms of touch, and you know, and they were just glowing with their own feelings of strength, and so that there is a big connection between our our self confidence and assertiveness and our feeling comfortable with our sexuality and who we are as a sexual person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just as we wrap up here, Wendy, you, you've provided so many resources and and we're going to make sure our listeners know where to get those, but I would love just to hear you talk about in your experience from having done this for 40 years and, and written and produced and contributed so much in your body of work to helping people heal what kind of a hopeful message would you have for anyone who's listening who maybe is having a hard time believing that they might be able to heal or that there's any sort of hope? Healing is possible. Don't be afraid of the area of sexuality. Don't let the word sex and sexuality scare you. This is like, you know, any other area. It could be eating. It could be exercising. It could be you know, uh, learning in some other new skiing or <laughs> skill like skiing or or jogging or cooking. Um, you know, it's se- sexuality. You know, there's there's information that has to do with um, you know how it works and and this is an area in life that can be very fulfilling and and you can end up feeling better about. Don't. It's like, don't allow what happened to you in the past to define who you are and define your future. You don't have to. I mean, if you want to, if that's your choice, that's fine. And don't make me and you don't let me or anyone else tell you you have to do sexual healing. You know, I I wouldn't want any part of that. But if you if you're, you know, wondering, well, maybe this is something I should do. It's like, don't be afraid of it. Just approach it like any other subject. And you can make great strides in it. The information exists. The exercises exist. There are is uh, supportive help that exists for you. And thousands, millions of other people have done it. And you can too. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, it's such an important message. And I don't think we can hear it enough. So thank you so much for the incredible work that you've done. I became introduced to your work 15 years ago, and uh, it's changed the lives of so many of my clients, and I've learned so much from you. And so thank you for just the work you've done and this this legacy that you've left as you've moved away from clinical work and, and you're now writing and producing all this incredible content and making it available to the world. It's a real gift. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff and Jody. And Jeff, your work has been an inspiration to me. And the book you wrote and was very helpful for my clients when I was seeing them. And so I thank you for that. It's nice to be part of a community of healers. It sure is. 
Thank you, Wendy. <laughs> Someday we'll have you back to talk about some other topics I have in mind. So we'd love to invite you back sometime, but I sure appreciate sure. you. Okay, great. You can learn more about Wendy and the great work that she's doing on her website, healthysex.com. And she's got her books on there. She's got lots of free videos and other resources. Uh, She talks about a lot of them in this interview, of course. And so you'll find all of that there at her website, healthysex.com. And then I'll put links to her books as well in the show notes so you can access those easily. Her books are fantastic and she's just done some great work. It's just an amazing resource to have available to all of us. So thank you, Wendy. Thank you for joining us. And thanks for your life work and the great things you're doing. As always, you can find past episodes of this podcast on the website fromcrisistoconnection.com, as well as online courses. Podcast guests always get 20% off of my Trust Building Bootcamp, a 12-week online video course with worksheets and all kinds of resources to help you become a trustworthy person, rebuild broken trust, and create conditions where trust can thrive in your relationship. You can enter the code podcast 20 at the checkout and you will automatically get 20% off the course so you can jump on your healing journey you can start that immediately thanks so much for listening join me on social media i'm on instagram facebook constantly posting updates there trying to stay connected to everyone thanks for listening every single week and i look forward to hanging out with you guys in the next episode Mm -hmm.